Well, I'd like to welcome all of you to part two of this series that we're calling Relationship Goals. Um, this is a series where we're uncovering the types of goals that I believe every thriving and growing marriage will want to have. And before we get into the content for today, I wanted to just give you a reminder of where we started last week. So last week, we took a look at some words from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And in a little story that he told, he shared with us the difference between a wise person, slide please, a wise person versus a foolish one. And so a, a wise person or a foolish person is in context of the parable is someone who lives for the moment, who lives for happiness right now, and who doesn't recognize, a foolish person doesn't, doesn't recognize that what they do today will have ramifications and an effect on what happens in the future. That the present and the present goals and the present things we concentrate on absolutely have ramifications and an effect into the future. And in the context of the story that Jesus told, the foolish person, if you remember, was the one who decided just to get building the house right away. Maybe they had sold their previous house quicker than they thought, and they didn't want to live in a townhouse too long in the interim. Okay, I know this applies to some of you. And so they decided just to get building, get those walls up, let's move in. But what they didn't concentrate on is what the house was built on. And when the storms came, and when the rains came, and when the winds blew, the house fell down because it didn't have a strong foundation. On the flip side, a wise person. A wise person, Jesus describes, is someone who does recognize that what I do today will have an effect on the future, that the things I do right now absolutely will affect things tomorrow. And so in the story, the wise person was the one who before putting up the walls, made sure to do the hard work. And in some ways, the, the work that isn't as much fun because you don't see the results right away of making sure that the house had a good foundation, that the house was built on a rock. And we learned that Jesus is the foundation that we want to build our lives on, that we want to build our relationships on, that we want to build our marriage on. And in fact, I said it this way, that the right foundation is the most important part. It's the most important part of life. It's the most important part of our relationships, getting the right foundation. And then I left you with a little bit of homework I asked you to consider and to discuss this question with your spouse. What relationship goals do you want for your marriage? Really? Because I think our initial answer to that question is early retirement and vacations every, what month is this? Every February, get out of this cold, right? And on and on and on. And those are okay goals. Put them on the list. It is totally okay but they're not the most important ones. And so that I can make 
people uh, feel bad this morning. Raise your hand if you didn't do any of this homework. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to do. But what I am saying is I urge you, I strongly encourage you to spend some time, if you're married, talking about this question. If the foundation is Jesus, what goals do we want to have? How does that affect our priorities? And then I mentioned we're going to look at three specific goals starting today in what building on Jesus as the foundation could look like, whether that be for our lives, if your relationship status is single, or whether it be for our marriages. Now, to get into that content, I have a little bit of what I would say unsettling statistics to talk to you about when it comes to marriage. And I need a little bit of class participation. If you're in the room, you can just blurt out what you're thinking. If you're online, you can write something in uh, the chat box if your platform has one. But here's the first one. What would you say in the United States was the percentage of marriages ending in divorce in 1960. Remember, you can write it in the chat box, your guess. What, what about in the room? Any, any guesses? I heard 40. Anyone else? 5%. I, I wish, right? Yeah. Pretty low, though. 25%. Anyone want to guess what it is today? 51. I, I've seen everything from 49 to 51, so I averaged it. About 50% of marriages today end in divorce. Another statistic. The percentage of adults that are married, so 18 and up. In 1960, what percentage of adults were married, would you guess? Did you say 80? You're pretty close, Sue. We'll give it to you. 75% of adults were married in 1960. Anyone want to guess for today? Less than that. (laughs) 48%. Now, there's a couple reasons why this statistic has so drastically dropped the percentage. Um, One of them is this, that even though God's plan for romantic relationships is different than what society allows for and says is okay. From a societal perspective, cohabitation or living together, unfortunately, is much more accepted in our society than it was in 1960. So that's one reason. A lot of people are just opting for for living together. Now, why would they do that instead of get married? Well, again, a lot of different reasons for it, but There is this general perception that married people are unhappy. There's this general perception that marriages are unhappy. So why would I do that to myself, essentially? Now, according to a study done by Pew Research Team, PEW Research Team, They actually uncovered statistically that in almost every single metric that people who are married are happier and healthier than those who are just living together. So that's an interesting statistic. What society thinks is not necessarily reality, but I would say there is still that perception that people who are married, that marriages are generally unhappy 
And in a a book that I've referenced before, Tim Keller, uh, pastor, kind of talks about this a little bit. Listen to what he says in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. It it may be that this pessimism over marriage comes from a new kind of unrealistic idealism about marriage, born of a significant shift in our culture's understanding of the purpose of marriage. Let me unpack what he's saying, and then we're going to look at another quote. So what he does next in the book is he sort of starts with the very origins of marriage, which began in the Garden of Eden. And and God gave marriage to be a blessing to Adam, to be a blessing to Eve for three primary purposes, for companionship, for children, and for sexual or physical intimacy. And then he chronicles how through the generations and through the centuries, marriage has been, generally speaking, a blessing to people, a blessing to societies. In fact, still today, the best environment for growing thriving children is a loving marriage. But what was the shift? Look at what Tim Keller says. Marriage used to be a public institution for the common good. That's kind of what I just explained as he did in a few pages in the book. And now it's a private arrangement for the satisfaction of individuals. It's it's how you find you're happy. It's about me. Marriage used to be about us, but now it is about me and make me happy. And this is how I'm going to be happy through you, who I'm married to. But ironically, this newer viewer view of marriage puts a crushing burden of expectation on marriage and on spouses in a way that more traditional understandings never did. Let me say this. Every single one of us fall into the trap of thinking that Tim Keller sort of weeds out here. And because this is so critical to our understanding of this first week, I brought a quick little illustration. What what Tim Keller is saying is that we all have certain relational desires and foundational needs. I'm representing them with this box. Things like, and you'll see them on the screen as well, but things like acceptance, and comfort, and respect, and security. And the list could go on. These are just four of them. But these foundational needs that we all have and we all desire, and what Tim Keller is saying, and what I have seen to be true in my own heart sometimes, and maybe you've noticed this too, that in marriage sometimes, we take these foundational needs, and I had contemplated emptying this box so it wasn't so heavy to carry, but this makes the illustration better, okay? We give all of those things that we need, and we say, here, honey, Or when we get married here, I need you to do all these things for me. I need you to give me acceptance, make me feel comforted, give me the respect I'm owed, and uh, make me feel secure. And what Tim Keller is saying is that there is no person, there is no spouse, there is no even right one that can carry all of these things. And here's why. I'm going to try to read it while I'm holding this. But number one, fill in for today, that there's a certain weight your spouse 
was not created to carry. There's certain weight that no person was created to carry or to give you. Now, of course, in marriage, you can get little glimpses of these things, of course, but the full weight of this, no person can carry. And if we're trying to get these things fully and ultimately from our spouse or from our, our, our boyfriend or our girlfriend, the, the thing is, is that eventually they're going to get crushed by the weight. They're going to fail and you're going to be disappointed. And you know what? You're going to be unhappy and you're going to, in part, think, you know what? It was their fault. They didn't give me what I thought I should get out of this relationship. They don't make me feel the way I need to feel. But here's the thing. There's a certain weight your spouse was not created to carry. No sinful human being can ever give you all of these things. Maybe little glimpses of them, maybe in small part, but not ultimately can we get these things from a person. So what's the alternative then? And I truly believe that this is the key to growing happiness and growing satisfaction in our marriage. It doesn't make it perfect. Nothing we talk about in this series is gonna make your marriage perfect, okay? But better and better grounded and better rooted. What's the alternative? Well, let's see what Jesus has to say. We're gonna go back to that Sermon on the Mount, um, just a few verses before, one chapter before we looked at last week. And this is a pretty familiar section. And at first when I read it, I'm thinking your reaction might be, what does this have to do with marriage or the point that Ben's getting at? But stick with me because it has everything to do with it. So Matthew chapter six, verse 25. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Next slide. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So what we have here is Jesus talking about worry. And at the core of this, we have a person, a person who is concerned, next slide, a person who is concerned about having personal needs and desires met. They're worrying about clothes. They're worrying about how they're going to receive um, food. 
And the emotion that results out of that needing things or having certain needs met was worry because they had no one to think about except themselves or so they thought. In marriage, it's the same thing that often causes the unhappiness or the frustration. It's not having certain needs and desires met, but because we're focused on the other person giving it to us, those needs and desires, and in part feeling like they're failing, instead of worry being the emotion, the response to the exact same desire as in that verse is frustration. The result is being unhappy with the person we're married to. So what does Jesus say? Verse 31. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? And I love how Jesus puts all of these questions together. And what I, what I want you to think about and picture here with this verse is um, that you're hosting a, a big party. It's an hour away and you're not ready for it. The house isn't clean yet. The food's not quite done. The decorations aren't up. Have you ever been in one of those moments? Has your spouse ever been in one of those moments? It's not a fun place to be. And oftentimes they'll start to ask themselves rhetorical questions like, you know, what am I going to do? Where are the decorations? I've got so much to do. I, I, I. And when all of the focus is on myself to get things done <laughs> in context here. What shall we eat and what shall I drink and what shall I wear? The result is going to be worry. And in fact, Jesus continues in verse 32, for the pagans run after all these things. Is it only non-believers that need food and drink? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that those who don't know the Lord, they try to figure this out on themselves. They try to get their needs met on their own by working harder or trying to pull it out of someone that we're married to. And in this next verse, Jesus changes the entire focus. Look what he says. For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father, he knows you need them. In that one little half of a verse, Jesus takes the focus of description of a person who's trying to figure this all out on their own, and I, and we, and me, and I need to. And he reminds us of something that we always often forget. God's there. He's going to take care of you. He knows what you need. And in fact, I love it that Jesus uses the term father to describe God. There's not a place a child feels much more secure than when he or she is with a loving father. And that's what God is for us. And so here's often where what causes disappointment and frustration we look to our spouse for things that only God can truly give to us. 
Remember this list, acceptance and comfort and respect and security. God designed a place where our most foundational needs are absolutely met. And let's get even more specific than just God. In fact, the Apostle Paul does it for us in a letter that he wrote to some Christians in Philippi. He wrote this. God will meet some of your needs. God will meet a percentage of, God will meet all your needs according to what? The riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I don't care today whether you're married or not. This is absolutely true. No matter who you are, we have things we need, whether they be relational needs, whether they be foundational needs, whether they be physical needs, whatever they might be, emotional needs. And what God is saying, what Paul writes is that they are met in the riches of the glory through Christ Jesus. Leads us to our next fill-in. The cross is the place where all our greatest needs were met. The cross is the place where our greatest needs were met. And I know that sounds a little bit like preacher speak or whatever. Okay, Ben, get practical with me. How is this the case? So let's take a look at some of those words um, on the screen. How, How do we get these needs met through the cross? Well, how about acceptance? It's amazing how much of our self-esteem at times can be tied into what that significant other person in our life says or doesn't say, what they do or don't do, how they cherish us or don't cherish us, how they make time for us, or don't. And our, our feelings of being worthy can go up and down depending on sometimes how that person treats us or how they act towards us on a certain day or in a certain season. And yeah, your spouse has influence on that. There's no doubt. But our true acceptance, the one that never wavers and with which you can always be confident was declared right there on the cross. When Jesus made you God's child, and that doesn't change no matter how your spouse might be towards you or whether you have one at all. How about, how about comfort? You know, I, I recognize that these marriage series that we do, they're probably some of the most convicting in my heart because not everything I preach Let me tell you, do I do perfectly? What do you do with that guilt? What do you do with the the guilt of not being the spouse that you want to be? Your spouse isn't going to be able to take care of that for you totally. But at the cross, when Jesus said it is finished, he wants you to leave that guilt behind to live in the the new life that he's given you. How about respect? Ladies, I'm going to talk to you for a moment. Um, 
men are more fragile than we want to admit. And one of the things we look for, at least most men, is we love it when our wives respect who we are and respect what we do. And we recognize that sometimes we're the reasons why there isn't that respect there. But one of the things that can hurt our hearts the most is when there isn't that respect there. Respecting what we do or maybe how we provide or co-provide for the family. That's a big thing to us. And, And men, though, I want you to know, even if you're in a difficult season of your marriage, that you are much more than a title at work or a paycheck that you bring home. That God has made you his child, and that is the most important part of you. How about security? Guys, I want you to know that one of the things that most women long for the most is a relationship and a home environment of where they feel safe and secure and loved. And so when we, as men, raise our voices or yell or create an environment where it's just uneasy, that's a really difficult place for everyone and especially our wives to live in and to be in. And we need to be careful about that. But women, I want you to know that no man can provide the environment of security and love that God himself provides for you. And we as husbands can help with that, but God through Jesus ultimately provides it. And we can go on and on with this. I only have so much time, but do you see it gets really, Paul was right. All our needs are met. The riches of the glory of Jesus Christ at the cross, all our needs are met. And so number three, the best spouse can't give you what Jesus has given you. And the worst spouse can't take it away. The best spouse cannot give what Jesus has given you. And no spouse, let's say you're in that season, can't take it away. That you still can have all of these things through Jesus. And so Jesus concludes this section of his sermon with this verse, verse 33. So, in all things, in your marriage, in your dating life, at work, In your life, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, they'll be given to you as well. You know, last week we talked a little bit about finding the right person. That if we find the one, that things are going to be great. That if we find the one, well, then I'm going to find happy. And for those of you who are single, I I, I recognize there is a blessing to have someone to walk through life with. But whether you're preparing to someday be married or whether you are married right now, what a verse like this tells us is that we got to flip our thinking a little bit. 
that we're not looking for the one. Instead, we're looking for the two. You see, God is your one. Your spouse is your two. And everything comes after that. God is your one. And your spouse is your two. Now, as we consider that, it leads us to the theme for today that we want to have a Christ-focused relationship. And to put a little more meat on that when it comes to a goal, the first relationship goal that I believe is coming out of this series is this, that we will have a marriage where we keep Jesus first and each other second. It's the first marriage relationship goal for this series. We will have a marriage where we keep Jesus first and each other second. You see, every marriage is focused on something. Sometimes it's just purely fun. And sometimes it's the kids. In our culture, a lot of times it's the kids or the grandkids or whatever it might be. Sometimes your marriage is focused on self. We talked about that today and what I can get out of it and how she or he can make me happy. Some of it is a certain image we want to uphold by living in the right place and driving the right thing. But what does a marriage look like when the number one goal is to seek first his kingdom? And and here's the other thing I want you to know. Just because a marriage is made up of two Christians doesn't mean that it's Christ-focused. Christ is in the relationship, most likely, but it doesn't mean that it's focused on Christ. So how do we, practically speaking, do this? Well, as I was thinking about that, there's a bunch of different answers we could have. I mean, it could be um, getting in a routine of going to church regularly um, on the weekend or joining a growth group or studying the Bible together, um, serving together. There's a lot of different things. And, you know, when you're given a long list of things to do, a lot of times we do none of them. It's like when you get a long email to read, how much do you read of it? Not much, maybe none of it, right? So I want to give you one thing that I think isn't the be-all and end-all, but is very practical, and I know that the Lord will use it. How do we do this practically? I'm encouraging you in your marriage relationship, if you haven't done so already, to pray together daily. Now, I'll admit that this isn't something that Carrie and I have done or did for all of our marriage. But for the last several years, not a day goes by or rarely a day goes by where before I leave for work or before she leaves the house that we don't come together, often hold hands, oftentimes, and just say a prayer together that the Lord would guide our day. That's how we do it. It may look differently in your relationship, 
But there's this um, startling statistic that, if nothing else, might give you some encouragement. Did you know that when Lifeway did some research on Christian couples, that less than 8% of Christian marriages do the couples pray together daily? Less than 8%. And of that 8% that do, less than 1% get a divorce. Praying together daily is not some good luck charm or magic ticket to having the perfect marriage. Do not hear that in what I'm saying. But instead, recognize that when we begin or end each day or spend some time each day being intentional with praying with our spouse, that the Lord can use that and he can bless it and it focuses our hearts and our relationship on Christ. Now, I know for some of you, this is like, you know, so awkward to even think about because what am I going to say and how do we do this? And now, let me tell you, you've done awkward things before, haven't you, that were important? I mean, somehow you ask the person next to you out on a date or propose or, I mean, we've been in awkward situations before. The more we do something, the less awkward it gets and you don't need to be eloquent and the prayer doesn't need to be long. In fact, I have a sample for you. Very simple, very easy. How about something like this? Heavenly Father, please guard our hearts today by keeping you first and each other second in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Heavenly Father, please guard our hearts today by helping us keep you first and each other second in all that we say. And it doesn't need to be hard. It just needs to be intentional. You see, Jesus directs us that in life and in relationships to seek him first. It's so easy to give a big box of relational needs and emotional needs for our spouse to carry and They weren't created to carry that. But with Christ and with the Lord, he can carry it. And we together can seek him first. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your word and uh, for your direction and for your truth. It is so easy for us to look to have our needs fulfilled either by the things that we can do in life or by putting that weight onto someone else. Maybe it's our spouse. And Lord, while you put people around us and in marriages to bless us, ultimately, There are certain things that you can only give and we thank you that you fulfill those things in our lives and in our relationships. And dear Lord, we pray that you would be with the marriages in this room and you would direct us to be Christ-focused, to together keep you first and each other second. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.